As we, uh, we, we, last time we were in John, we left at the end of, J- of John 14, the, the uh, upper room with the Passover meal with Jesus' disciples as he shared with them and as he taught them these critical, critical last minute, what I call the, the last minute lessons on greatness was, was the serving would be the, the least. The, the least would be the greatest. As he taught them the other lessons there, and that he, he, and he spoke of, to them of his leaving and of his death, but he also then uh, gave them this, the, the, the assurance that he was going to send another of the same kind, the comforter, the Holy Spirit of God, that would be not only with them, but would be in them and would never leave them. And we left the last time with the end of, John, of chapter 14 with Jesus saying, okay, let's get up and go. Arise and let's go hence. Being Passover season, uh, as they left the upper room, most likely if it had been a, a, a clear night, there would have been a, a full moon or might near a full moon. And they, as they made their way from the upper room across Jerusalem, headed toward across the Kidron Valley, the Kidron Brook, to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, where, uh, where Jesus would, where he would pray and where eventually he would uh, he would. Uh, be taken into custody by the authorities. Um, the moon, if the moon was, was shining, they would have been easy for them to have seen the orchards, the vineyards uh, there uh, that were that were plentiful in that area. And as we as we get to the fifteenth chapter of the of the book of John, very familiar because it begins with the with the section on uh, abiding in the vine, the vine and the fruit. But the 15th chapter is, is awesome to me in so many ways because uh, as, as they traveled, the Lord took this time again, knowing that in just a matter of a few short hours, he's going to be dying on the cross. He, he takes this time to continue this teaching so essential in his followers that he's going to be leaving in just a, in just a few minutes. And, and, and as, as he nears one the orchard, he stops and he begins, this, he begins this discourse and he's talking about relationships. John 15 is all about relationships. And it, and it divides itself. Now, not all of scripture does this, but I love it when, when God does this for us. The first 11 verses in John, four, uh, John 15, uh, Jesus is talking about his relationship, the relationship with believers and with the Lord Jesus Christ, with himself. And the key word in these 11 verses is the word abide. And, and I, I, I love Pam's song, Abiding Under the Shadow. In these 11 verses, 10 times the word abide is mentioned. And it's, it's crucial, Jesus emphasizing the believer's union in Christ as, the, as a branch abiding in the vine. Then verse 12 through verse 17 focuses upon the, the believer's relationship with other believers. And uh, in, these, in these six verses, four times we're going to see the word love is mentioned. And, and I can't wait. I, I, I'm anxious uh, to get to that section, Lord willing, maybe next Sunday, because there's a new course. It's not new, but it's so old, it's going to be new to a lot of you uh, that I'm anxious to teach you. Uh, Barbara and I were singing it on the way this to church this morning. First time I heard it, I don't know, 30 years ago, 
up in a camp in the, in the, in the mountains of Tennessee. But uh, anxious. The key word there is love. And, and the focus is on fellowship or communion with believers. Then is uh, in concluding out the chapter with verse 18 and, uh, and through, the, through, through the remainder of the chapter, verse 27, the last section Jesus is going to be talking with his disciples about the relationship with the world and the world system as believers that as he's leaving, as, what's, what's that relationship going to be like in a world that hates them? And indeed, that's one of the, that's one of the, the words that's used in, in these verses uh, is, is a key word. It's used uh, eight times in the last part of the chapter is hates. The world hates you. It'll hate you uh, if you walk in him. So that's kind of where we're going, Lord, Lord, down the road here, Lord willing. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to walk back here to the, to the beginning of chapter 15. And I want us to, uh, to kind of walk into this and, and go through, Lord willing, these, uh, these first 11 verses. Let's pray. Now, Father, may your Holy Spirit be our teacher. Lord, please, nothing that I say is important unless it first comes through you. So help them to anything that's of jury, to just let it fall by the wayside. But anything that's of you, Lord, may we receive it. May we grow through it. In Christ I pray. Amen. Let's look at this. They were walking by the vineyards. Jesus may have stopped down to, to pick up a, a, a grape a, a vine or, and, and hold it. He may have just walked over to it. I don't know. But he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Now, several times in the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as the vine. And I believe that it's very significant here that Jesus is letting these followers know that he's not talking about the nation of Israel. That he's talking about himself. He says, I am not just the vine, but I'm the true vine. I'm the real deal here. I'm the true vine. And he and identifies this, and his father, our, our, our God, he said, is the husbandman. Some, place, some translations say the vine dresser. Others may have the gardener. And then he identifies in verse, verse 2, every branch in me. And in verse 5, he tells us that you are the branches. So Jesus has, has right up front, has, has identified, the, the, if I can say it this way, the, the main characters in this, in, in this important lesson that they, they, they have to get. It's him. He's the true vine. He's the true vine. His father, God, is the, the one who cares for the vineyard. It's his father, God, who's, who's doing the work in the vineyard. And then the followers of Jesus are the, are the branches. The believers are the branches. He says that to them. Now, let's look at this. He says, every branch in me, verse 2, that bears not fruit... He, talking about God, or the husbandman, or the vine dresser, he takes away. And every branch that bears not fruit, he purges it. Some other translations have got another word there. What? Prunes it. He prunes it. uh, That it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. Now, it's it's interesting that in verse 2, the word that's used, purge, King James says purgeth. Other translations says prune. And then in verse 3, where it says clean, clean or made clean. In the Greek, these are both the same words. Pruned, purged, cut back, made clean or cleansed. 
And so it could read almost interchangeably here. He, he cleanses it or he makes it clean. Any branch that bears fruit, he makes it clean. Any branch that, that, uh, that you're clean through this. Now, let's look at this. The work of, the, of, the, of God the Father, the husband. First of all, he says every branch that is not fruitful, he takes away. Now, if you look at verse 6, those branches are piled up and, uh, and men gather them and they're cast into the fire and they're burned. Now, I'm just, I'm just going to be up very upfront. I, no, I don't know what verse 2 means. If you are of a Calvinistic persuasion, you're going to say, well, that means that's, that's very similar to Judas who was numbered with the disciples, although he was never really one of them. And you're going to, and you're going to say, this is, these, are, this, these, these branches that are barren are people who come to church, they look like the church, they talk like the church, but they never bear fruit in their life. So they've never been born again. If you're of an Armenian persuasion, you're going you're gonna to see it differently. You're going to look at this and you're going to say, well, this, these are people that, that may have made a profession of faith, but they never were in the word. They never, they never let the word grow, get in them. They, there was never, no, never any fruit in their lives. I don't know. I'm just going to tell you, I think it behooves us to be fruitful and to be productive. That's what it's about is productive believers. So you, you lay that before the Lord. But let's look at what the Father does. Every branch that is not, does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, the picture I get in this, of course, he's talking about a, a grapevine. Now, grapevine has, has sprouts. Some people call them water sprouts. But there are sprouts that, that come up on the grapevine that are never going to, they're never going to have uh, clusters of grapes on them. All they're going to do is, is, is sap nourishment from the vine, and they're going to take nourishment away from those fruit-bearing branches. And these, these sprouts need to be cut away quickly. I relate to this more with tomatoes. My, my wife, and you've heard me talk about our tomato raisin, but um, she and, and uh, Linda growing up in Murphy and, and the Free Methodist Church down in Murphy grew tomatoes one year for the market for a, a fundraising project. And then uh, Barbie, when we got married, she translated all her knowledge to me just briefly. It, uh, it continues to do that. But, but with tomatoes, as your tomato plant grows, the, the, the main vine and then the branches that are going to have the tomatoes, but where the, where the branch connects to the main vine, often there's, there's a sprout that will grow right in, the, right in that crook, right in that crook. Barbie says you have to sucker your tomatoes if you want good tomatoes. And what that means is we go in and we take and, and or, or, you know, just pinch that off. Now, why do we do that? Because that sprout will never produce a tomato. But it, it will sap nourishment from the, from the, the, the plant. It will be, it'll have leaves. It'll be bushy. It'll look pretty. But you can't eat pretty. You eat fruit. So you, you take that, you sucker the tomatoes to take off that which is unproductive. And the result of that, and I know this, that the result of that is the tomatoes then that you have are healthier, they're stronger, and better. Plant may not be as bushy, but again, as my father-in-law says, you can't eat bushy, okay? You eat the fruit. Now, with the, with the, with the cutting back of the dead wood, of pruning of the grapevine, you, you need to cut off all the rotten wood and dead wood. Now, I, I struggle with this because, uh, and, and, and sometimes my, my grapevines show this. My grapevines are old anyway. 
uh, I transplanted them when I was still working at school, and I hadn't been at school since 1992, so they're old, okay? But they're, they're now, uh, when I go cutting back, uh, you've you, you got to get past the dead wood. Dead wood, on a, on a, whether it's a grapevine or whether it's a tree or whatever you're pruning, dead wood is a, is a breeding ground for insects and for disease. So I know this. Sometimes I want to stop short, but you need to get back to, to living wood. Now, what I relate this to the mostly is, is, is this. Um, if you've ever, when you, when you, when you trim your, your fingernails or toenails, I, I used to could trim my toenails. Now I can't reach my toes, so I just use the dumb and dumber method, stick them to a grinder or something. But uh, that's a bad picture. That's a bad picture. But, uh, but if you've ever trimmed your fingernails, you ever, you ever trimmed your fingernails and, and, and got them into the, the quick? Mm-mm. Got that one a little close. You get down there and, you, and, and, and it hurts. It, you know, you've got, you've got into the quick. You know you've, you know you've done some trimming when you get to that. Well, I, I relate this that when, he, when, the, when the God is trimming back, when he is pruning productive branches so that they will be more productive, sometimes he gets into the quick in our lives to where it's painful and where it's hurt. Just met, uh, I didn't met. Many years ago, when I was still in school and coaching, we, several of you, and some of you here, Kelly was one of the ones. She was just a young girl then, and some of the others. But we took a group of uh, Union County athletes. We took two or three buses, went down to Atlanta to a professional athletes outreach banquet. And there we were able to, to sit at tables with professional athletes from all across the United States who were Christians. And they're giving their hearts to the Lord. And at that time, Steve Bartkowski, and this is to tell you how ancient this is, Steve Bartkowski was the quarterback of the, of the Atlanta Falcons. And um, Steve had given his heart to the Lord. Now, uh, when he came to the Falcons, he was not a Christian. Uh, and he, he, his, his book, as, as you share his book, as he shares in his book, he talks about some of the struggles. He talks about the injuries that came into his career. And, 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 and looking back on it from the perspective, now he was still playing ball at the end of his career. But looking back on it, Steve talks about that that was God pruning him, making him productive, not for professional football, but for Christian fruit in his life. Now, look at this. Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, hey, look, the branches that if they're unproductive, God's going to take them away. That's what he says. He said, God's going to take them away. And every branch that bears fruit, what's God going to do? Purge it. He prunes it. When we're fruitful, he prunes it. Because he hates us? Is that the reason he does it? Because God don't like us? Huh? No. Why? To make us more productive. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, look in verse 2. Look, as I, I love you. You see the transition there of, of, of fruit. You're going to see this talking about fruit, uh, more fruit, uh, much fruit. And you see this transition as it goes with that down in, in verse 4. Now, look at what he says in verse 3. He said, he, he prunes it that it brings forth more fruit. Now, you are clean through what? Through the word that I've spoken to you. What is, what is one of God's most frequently used pruning methods? It's his word. It's his word. Now, John would say, we know in the beginning, that John's referring to Jesus, describes him as in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. So John describes Jesus as God's Word in the flesh. 
But, and so Jesus here is saying, now all the words that I've spoken to you, and we have the written word. And he says, it's the written word that God uses to prune us in our lives. Often. Has God's word, has God's word ever done any pruning in your life? Wow. I've shared with you, uh, and, 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 and you know stories, many of you, I've shared with you, uh, not any of you have ever been there, but uh, there's been some times in my life when I have been disobedient. Don't want to, yeah, I mean, and I shared, I shared one time, uh, just start simple. Sin starts simple. I just committed to do something, didn't do it in a timely method when I committed to do it, and then when I was asked about it, I, dece- I was deceptive. Didn't want to tell them, no, I didn't do it. I just, so I hum around. I was deceiving. I knew what I was doing. And it carried on for weeks. Let me tell you what happened. During that time, um, first, thing, first thing is I, I, uh, my, my prayer life was affected. Has God ever dealt with you, trying to deal with you about an issue in your life, and you tried to pray? I, I, you know, I, 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 I tried to pray. I love you, Lord. Do you really love me? You want to obey me? Yeah, try that. Try, try. Well, Lord, I just want to come to you and worship you. Worship you. Do we really want to worship me? You know, worship is a, is a product of all you are, all you think, do, and say toward me. Do you really want to obey me? You know? So when I'm disobedient, I didn't want to, I, didn't, I found it difficult to pray. Well, I thought, well, you know, then his word becomes so convicting. So I thought, well, shoot, I'm, I'm going to get out of this, this stuff over here where Jesus is talking. I'm going to go to the Psalms. The Psalms comfort everybody. <laughs> I want to tell you, when you're a disobedient Christian and, not, and, and where you are, where you're supposed to be with the Lord, even the Psalms feels like a hickory to your backside. Psalms are supposed to bring comfort. Instead, what do they do? They, 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 every, every verse, every word is just like God said, I know your sin. Deal with it. I know your sin. Deal with it. What does, uh, what does James say? Maybe that's one of the reasons I'm thinking about this is we're getting ready to, I'm getting ready to, to, to we're walking through James with the men. What does James say? James says God's word is like, a, is like a mirror. We hold it up to our face and we see what we really like. Wow. Jesus said, it's my word. It's my word that does the purging. And then he talks in verse four, he says, abide in me. And I in you. Now, as the branch cannot bear forth, as the branch cannot bear fruit, oh, there you are, of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you cannot do anything. If any man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them up, cast them in the fire, and they're burned. If you have, now, let me, interesting, verse 4, abide in me. Verse 5, he that abides in me. This is, a, this is an active verb, abide in me. It's something that we're expected to do. It's an action on our part. Uh, we read this in scripture. Sometimes he talks about remain in me. Sometimes he talks about follow me. Uh, he talks about uh, uh, trust me. Abiding in him, in his word. 
But then then when he says, and I in you is in a passive tense. In other words, that's not something that we can do, but that's something that is done in us. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. As we focus, as we follow, as we trust, as we stay, as we abide in him and his word then in, in us. He's like that, that nourishment that comes up through the vine and through the plant. That that nourishment there is what produces the fruit. Now, look at what he says, the last sentence in verse 5. That's very interesting to me. He says, for without me, you can. What? Do nothing. Do you believe that? Well, it says in God's word, it must be true, but I don't, surely don't know what you, what you mean, don't do nothing. I, I am convinced that what Jesus is talking about, when he's talking about producing fruit here, some people are going to look at this and, and, and produce fruit, and they're, going to, and they're going to see this as things we do for God, work, something works that we do. And surely uh, seeing souls come to the Lord is, is powerful and awesome, and I, and I love that. And I I'm, I'm keep thinking, I'm to the point where I'm thinking, Lord, maybe this is the one that completes your bride, and you're going to come and take us away. Found myself praying recently, Lord, like John, come quickly, Lord. Look at what's happened in, the, in, in, the, in the Israel. Look at what's happened in Nigeria. In Nigeria, since the first of the year, Seven months, the Islamic group, Boca, what is it? Yeah, Boca something. Not Boca Raton, but it's Boca something. Have purposely, intentionally killed fifth, over 1,500 Christians. Christians. Their stated goal, to kill every Christian in Nigeria or to run every Christian out so that it can become a Sharia state. Folks, if the world don't wake up, to the conflict between Islam and Christianity. There's not going to be many Christians left in some areas of the country. But I found myself praying, Lord, you know what's going on in, in Nigeria? You know what's going on in Iraq? You know what's going on in Israel now? They're surrounded and the world's, the, the world's against them. Come on, Lord. And, and boy, the, the, the Holy Spirit. I, I just, he said, Lord, that's pretty selfish prayer in it. Yeah, it's pretty selfish. I guess it is. Because when the Lord comes, it's not the end of conflict. And, and, and not meaning to be crashier. But if you think it's tough now, when the Lord comes and takes the church out, then it's when all hell is going to break loose on earth. It's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. So I found myself praying, Lord, you, you know us right. You, you know, you're so right. Help me to know your perspective and let me pray according to your will. So I, I, while important, every soul that that's, comes to the Lord is important. And everything that's done in obedience to, what God's, to God's plan is important. But anything, I think this shows me that he says, for, but without me, you can do nothing. To me, what that says is God's perspective of anything we do, any kind of works we do, unless he is in it, unless he has directed us to do it, and we're doing it out of obedience, he sees it as nothing. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. We've got a, uh, we've got a, in our kitchen, um, if you come in our kitchen, there's a, there's a kind of a little a table there, and Barbie's got on that table a, a white bowl. And it's, it's a fruit bowl. 
Now, and, and in the fruit bowl, she's, she's got um, apples. I don't know why anybody would like a Granny Smith apple. I have no idea. They're green. They're, they're sour. Barbie loves Granny Smith's apple. And she's even got some of our grandkids eating them. I, you know, I think an apple should be red. It should be soft. It should be sweet. Uh, you know, Barbie, Barbie likes, she's, she's not, she's had to run home. She's, she, she even likes what I call green bananas. She thinks when you eat a banana, it's supposed to crunch. I want to tell you something. If you eat bananas and they crunch when you eat them, they ain't ripe. But it's worked out well for us. God got it. You know, she, she, if she don't eat all the bananas when they're green, I get them when they're ripe. I love that. But we have this, we have this fruit bowl and, 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 and these apples are there. Now, right above the fruit bowl is, is a couple of shelves. And she has some little whatnots on them. Little black and white cows. And, but on those shelves, she has got two apples. They aren't real. They aren't plastic apples. I, I thought of talking about, think about plastic fruit, and I thought about calling Pat Langford and said, Pat, bring me some, some plastic fruit here because she's has some. She does this cornucopia. Remember down here at Thanksgiving? I picked up one. I thought I'd eat one last fall. She had a mixture of real and fake, and it wasn't until I picked it up that I thought, burn out, pop that in your mouth. It won't digest, you know. Barbie has these apples on the shelf. Now, let me ask you, and, and, and some other, some up, somebody's going to be, smart and say yeah I have I have never seen a plastic green apple there's a reason for that because God knows that right apples are supposed to be red but anyway <laughs> these these two apples that are up on the shelf are red they look good they look as good they look they look delicious and there's been times that those apples have got off the shelf into the bowl and I and I go by and think man that is that apple is saying eat me baby you know, just come on, nourishment's good for. And, I, and it wasn't until I picked it up, and the moment I touched it, the moment I picked it up, I realized it wasn't real. Jesus is telling these, these disciples anything that in your life that has not been put there by me, no matter how good it looks on the outside, no matter how good it may look to others, it ain't real. It's nothing. I think the fruit that Jesus is referring to is, is the same fruit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and verse 23. Uh, up here and, and um, look at it. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. King James says long just suffering. Other translations say what? Patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, humility, temperance, self-control. Now, I want you to look at what he says here. The, 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 the active part is our part. The passive part is that which the Holy Spirit does in us. He does it. We can't do it. He does it. And what he does is he produces this fruit in our lives if we're connected and abiding in and in union with the vine. Are you following what Jesus is saying? It's important. It was, it was important enough that he took the last few minutes before, he, before he's going to be taken from his disciples to be sure that they got this. And if it's that important, then I believe it's even that important or more so today that we understand this. Only as we abide in him and his words abide in us, then he produces in us this Christ-like fruit that he wants us to bear and as we, as we produce this, he then prunes us in our life 
and that can be painful. That he, sometimes he gets into the quick. I'm hollering, Lord, just get them sucker sprouts. And he said, I'm going to get to live wood. I'm saying, Lord, you got to be there now. He says, let's see what my word says. Because he loves us. When we bear fruit, he wants us to do, produce more fruit. And so he, he cleanses us. He makes us clean through his word. Now listen, there is good, there is, there is good counseling and there is great counseling. And, and, and we're so blessed at the church through, through the ministries of, of uh, Janice and the women and Tom and the men to have great counseling. The difference between good counseling and great counseling, I believe, is great counseling is based on God's word. Amen. It's based on God's word. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't get good counseling. There's, there's good ideals. But if you want something that will cleanse you and make you clean and change your life, it's here. It's here. All right, don't need to chase any rabbits. I'm trying to get to the end here. Now, I want, I want you to look at this. What happens? In verse, verse 7, he says, if you abide in me. He, what's, a re, what's a result of this? What, what are some of the benefits or the results? I think it's called results, not benefits. They're not necessarily for us, but they're results. Some of the results of a Christian, of a believer abiding in Christ, staying in him, following in him, remaining in him, and him in us, and the Holy Spirit working in us and producing this in our lives. More fruit, much fruit. Now, I just tell you, I, I look at this and, and, I, and I think, boy, if, if, if you see a little fruit there, expect some pruning. And the first area he says here in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Got to take a whole thing, guys. And my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done to you. All right. Big, big verse. All right. So, but I want to tell you, it doesn't mean that Jesus, that you rub the Bible three times, and Jesus pops out and said, I'll give you three witches. Wish for anything. Too many jokes about that. It's getting late in the day. I don't even want to go there. It's not what it means. His word says that as, as, he, as we abide in his words and his words abide in us. Scripture says, if you ask anything according to my will, you know that I hear you. And if I hear you, then you know I've got, you've, you, that I'm responding. I think one of the results of abiding in Christ is there is an effective prayer life. And what does Scripture say? That the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous person means a lot. So I, I can pray, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. One of the results of abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us is an effectual prayer life. Now, I just want to tell you, God's still putting on me. I, one, uh, recently, recently, found myself in a situation where, and you've been there probably, I found myself in a situation though where, where um, I'm, I'm, I'm in a situation, I'm dealing, talking with a good, good friend, close person, and I'm praying. And I'm, I'm, and I'm saying, Lord, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what to do. I, I'm doing this, but which, which, which way do I turn? What direction do I take? What do I say? What do I not say? And so in my spirit, in my spirit, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly, this constant talking with the Holy Spirit. Lord, Lord, you gotta tell, you gotta help me here. This is desperate. I'm desperate, Lord. You see the situation. It's life and death. We're at a crossroads and there's a spiritual battle going on here. Lord, you gotta guide me. I'm, all that's within and I'm all that. Yet outwardly, you've gotta do this. You're, you're finding outwards, you, you're listening to what's going on, but inside you're praying. And I, and I remember coming back home and saying to Barb, man, sometimes I, am, I, I don't even feel fit for the battle. Lord, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need to listen to you more. I need to, I, Lord, I, 
I want more of you and me. I, I, I need more of me to be surrendered to you. Everything. One of the results affects your prayer life. Look in verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Another result of abiding in Christ is that God is glorified. What does that mean? I mean, God looks good. He gets the glory. He gets the honor. Now, one of the catechisms says that what's man's supreme purpose? To bring glory to God. We, you and I were created to bring him glory. You and I were made to make, uh, were created so that we'd make God look good as he produces this fruit in our lives. So as we're abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in us, he's producing this fruit in our lives. He, we, are, we are exactly being what he created us to be. That's awesome. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Continue you in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even I, as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Did I, did I get those two verses? I did. Okay. Another result of abiding in Christ is that our life will reflect God's love. It'll reflect God's love. How are we doing? How are we doing with that? Sometimes pretty good. Sometimes. Now, I'll just tell you, loving unconditionally is so much easier when we're loving out there. But when it gets close, when it gets in the home, when it gets in the family, person, dear, dear, dear friend, first service, and he was telling me, he was telling me how long it had been since his kids had spoken to him because of a situation. And, 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 I, and, I, and I said, this is wasted time. They'll never get it back. Wasted times. How much time we waste by not just loving like Christ loves. He's working on us. He's pruning. If, you, if, you, if you're loving like he loves, he'll prune you. All right. The results. Effective prayer life. God's glorified. Our lives are going to reflect God's love, Christ's love more. The final one. Verse 11. Look at this. This is awesome. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. What's the final result, or what's the fourth result of abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us? Joy. But now look at this. Look at this. Not just joy. And let's just say that sure ain't happening. Too much junk going on in my life. It's not happiness. Happiness depends on happenings. Happenings depends on having all your ducks in a row and them on the pond swimming nicely. Joy means your pond may have even been dried up or it may be covered over in algae. And there may not be a duck on it. But, there's, there's, there, but there is something there that, that gives peace in the midst of the storm. Matter of fact, I look at it like this. Verse 11 says, I've spoken these things to you that my joy, whose joy? Jesus' joy. Jesus said that my joy might remain where? Where? In you. Now, Jesus is talking about being joyful, and a few, he's heading to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to pray for you and me. He's going to pray for the redemption of the world till the sweat becomes as blood. He's doing this. He's going to, in a few hours, he's going to be nailed to a cross. He's going to be beaten almost unrecognizable, and he's talking about joy. He's talking about joy. You betcha. And he said, I want that joy to be in you, but it'll never be in you unless you're abiding in me and letting my words abide in you. Part of the fruit, love, joy, joy. 
talk to, talk to some of these men and women that have been in, around the world in some of the poorest places in the world, some of the most intense places in the world where Christians are dying every day. And what, you know what they're going to talk about? They're going to talk about the joy of the Christians. And then we come here to our country. God bless our country. Pray for our country. I love my country. But I was talking to somebody this week. And they were, they were and a Christian. And they were just talking with me about the, 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 the pitiful hand that God had dealt them in this life to play with. The cards that he had dealt them. Can I, I'm saying that in church. Rook cards. The cards that he had dealt them to play with. And, just, and they were just poor mouthing. I, I, you know what? I, I mean, look at me. Look at me. Look at somebody else. I'm not, I've not got, I ain't got this, ain't got that, ain't got this, ain't got this. And they're just poor mouthing it. And I'm thinking, where is the joy of the Lord in your life? He said, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might be in, might remain in you and that your joy, what? Might be full. Not a sip of it. Not a swallower of it, but a glass full of it, a pitcher full of it, a barrel full of it, and it never runs dry. I don't understand it all, but I understand enough to know that's what I want. That's what I want. And I've understood enough to know what Jesus is saying to those followers that day with him, that it all boils down to putting our faith and trust and surrendering to him and staying in him and him, his Holy Spirit and his words abiding in us and then producing through us the fruit of the Spirit. Can we go to Craig? I don't know if you're still working on my sound. Or go to, can you go to Psalms 1? I didn't do this first service. I, I need to. And we're, I'm going to close with this. You say, yeah, I'll believe it when pigs fly. I'm going to surprise you. <laughs> Taking... Taking bets, we can't say that. Taking odds, can't say that. Just trust me. Psalm 1. Why don't, why don't you... Um, hey, you, you want to do something different? Why don't you stand up? You had about as much as your seats can bear. <laughs> All right. Just, just look up here, guys. Not at me, but look at, look at our screens. Let's read this and let's let God's word... Let's let God's word... David would have, had, have written this... Hundreds of years before Christ. And, and Psalms 1, first three verses talk about the believer and having fruit in his season. The last three verses give us a picture of the barren branch. Let's just let God's word speak. Read it with me. That's what I want you to do. Read it with me. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly. Father, we want to be known of you. Help us as we abide in you. 
that, Lord, we would allow your words, that we would give our eyes access to your words, our ears access to your words, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would produce in us fruit. Lord, we don't want to be barren. 